All right, guys, this is Byron Horton with the Whitetail Experience Podcast, and I have a pretty cool guest lined up today, um, Heath Cisco, and he is a guy here in the Buckeye State, um, has done some filming on a few web shows, is, is currently on the addiction staff, and um, I really like having Heath and having these conversations. I've had a few phone calls with him about, oh, hunting big woods stuff, hunting, oh, farm and big woods mixes, and he's able to really kind of oh, guide me in some of my questions because he's been doing it at a high level and, and knows the exact kind of areas I'm looking at. So Heath, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Byron. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. So give us a, a quick two minute speech, who you are, you know, how long you've been hunting and, and speak to your, your involvement with addictions and now back with addictions. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Okay. Well, uh, my name's Heath Cisco, and I'm from Southern Ohio. Uh, I started bow hunting at a very early age. I was around 13 when I killed my first deer, which is kind of crazy, but uh, it was uh, it was wounded when I shot it. So, uh, but that was a big deal for me when I was 13 years old. And from there, I evolved into uh, taking a few young bucks. By the time I was uh, 16 and 17, and uh, got hooked up with some older guys, and just set my goals around the age of 18 for uh, a Pope and Young class whitetail. And I was able to accomplish that the following year when I was 19 years old. So uh, I've been hunting a long time. I keep raising the bar. Uh, you know, trophy hasn't, hunting isn't for everyone, but for me, it's just uh, something that I love to do. I love uh, targeting specific bucks and uh, tracking them down and uh, trying to take them. Um, you know, I've, I've got very high standards. I set uh, my standards at the beginning of the year uh, in Ohio uh, pretty high. And when it gets about December, mid-December, I start lowering my standards for just a really mature buck uh, to try to take some of these older age class deer off of some of the farms I hunt. But uh, that's pretty much uh, what I do. I've been videoing. I started out videoing way back in 2004 uh, with uh, Don and Candy Kiske, which was pretty neat. And uh, it took a cameraman back then. We used the XL1Ss and all that. So it was pretty cool. Uh, it didn't work out too well because it just took two people. and. Uh, and you know, cut into half your hunting time, and um, I'm still friends with them. Uh, just got out of filming after a couple years because it struggled and uh, the stuff like that. Okay, so talk. How did you get involved with addictions, and, and what did that look like? And did you know? Obviously, addictions is more based around the solo filmer. And how did that play into to kind of oh, you know, different than say filming with the Kiskies? Sure. Well, I was. Uh, my whole goal in uh, getting into the hunting industry was to learn and to uh, better myself as a deer hunter. Uh, I got uh, sent down a couple of uh, wrong paths back uh, when I first started trophy hunting. I say wrong paths because uh, the information that I was given and how I was told you need to get it done and how I was trying to do it just wasn't working for me. So uh, I hunted and hunted really hard and it was just, it was tough to kill a, a good buck every one to two years and I wanted to get more consistent. So uh, I started uh, venturing out, trying different things. And when Whitetail Addictions came along, and I think it was 2006, I've seen their first show and I thought, you know, okay, here's another hunting show that's uh, coming out uh, for people to watch where these people are hunting, you know, just unpressured areas and this and that. And I started listening to the guys in it and especially Andre on some of his tips. And it uh, just blew me away with uh, different techniques and the aggressiveness of hunting that uh, he did and a lot of the other guys on the addiction crew did. So I started uh, 
uh, trying to read everything I could on him. And then uh, I got a couple DVDs. It was a marsh hunting and hill country hunting, I think, that uh, the Blood Brothers put out, which was oh. Jared Adotti uh, and a couple others. Uh, Dan Infault was one of them. And then uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, Lee. Uh, Lee was his name. So okay. that really that really led me after I watched those DVDs, it completely changed the way I hunt. So very cool. Now Heath, I, it's funny you mentioned the Hill Country Bucks DVD, and that's something that uh Dave and I we purchased and we would sit there and we watched that thing two or three times, one one kind of oh, uh, we watched it in the winter and then we'd watch it again in the summer. And I feel like that DVD oh changed my bow hunting life and actually i i purposely bought jared at Dotty a beer at ata when i saw him because i said and and he kind of looked around at who picked up the tab and i said no jared like you changed my bow hunting career with that dvd um, yes absolutely and and, and you got to remember which dvds these are these are the ones the original one that the blood brothers put out not the ones that dan infault has remade uh, yeah. these are the original ones uh, where it has uh Lee and uh, Jared. Jared's the one who produced it, and it has different interviews in there and hunts with Andre DeQuisto. And yes. uh, like I said, it completely made me look at hunting differently. I was more of a uh, hunter uh, setting up basically hunting during the rut and hunting funnels and hunting different areas where big bucks frequent. And it changed to where I went from that to actually hunting specific deer and I become and being more aggressive. And uh, hunting at all different times of the year instead of just trying to concentrate on two or three weeks in November. Okay, and that's actually kind of one of my bullet points here. But like, how uh, can I can I can I ask how did you meet Andre and how did that go? And and tell me about that. So, so once addictions when they stopped uh, filming after a couple years, uh, I I continued to hunt, but I started using some of their strategies and just uh, looking at hunting differently, and then. Uh, when Whitetail Addictions, I heard that they were coming back. So I contacted uh, Ashley Adequisto, contacted her, and we had several conversations. And I got into video and back into video and self-video in that year. And uh, because, uh, like Don and Candy Kiske, they wanted, uh, you, you, it was more like a movie production. Uh, you had to have a cameraman and all that stuff. And Addictions was just, you know, self-film. Uh, you do the best you can and lay down the hunt the best you can. So I contacted Ashley, and then Ashley after several conversations with her, she hooked me up with uh, Justin Hollinsworth because we were both from Ohio and uh, me and Justin hit it off and became uh, really good friends from then. And Justin introduced me to Andre and uh, it's pretty much, I guess, been downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> downhill. Justin's a great guy and somebody I talk to now on a lot more regular basis. And um, I can't say enough good things too about the sure. And, and I say downhill, it's because, uh, uh, if I was crazy about or addicted to whitetail hunting before, it even drives me more once I got to, uh, when you hang out with the guys that have the same kind of uh, addiction that you do with hunting, uh, trophy deer, I mean, that's, it, it drives you even more. Yeah, and I, I believe uh, Justin uh, told me a story one time about you guys going out to, to Andre's farm and shed hunting, and that might have been one of the first couple times you met him. How cool was that experience? Uh, it was uh, it was something else to be able to set down. The guy has uh, has done it time after time after time again. He I mean he he used to hunt back in the early days. Every single day of the season he was out there uh, pounding it and chasing after uh, high caliber bucks and still does it today. I mean uh, this year we was looking through some of his video footage and I mean he was out there every day. Yeah. It's crazy. And his knowledge. And his uh, ingenuity with his products 
and just how he looks at hunting uh, is just completely different than uh, than anybody that I've been around before. Uh, and you know, now you got a bunch of copycats coming up and saying, "Well, I did this and I did that and bed hunting and all this stuff." Andre was the pioneer. I mean, he's the one that uh, he didn't read magazines and come up with his hunting techniques. He went out there and uh, tried different things and was successful with it and just uh, honed his skills. Yeah, yeah, and I was doing it before trail cams and, and before a lot of people knew about that kind of what I call caliber of buck, you know, trail cams have just changed the game so much. But like back then, you know, he, he talks about some of these stories of how important glassing and tracks and some of this, Oh, more of a, a woodsmanship approach. It's, it's pretty cool. You know, to think about a guy killing that caliber of deer before trail cams. Sure. And then, you know, most people when they're killing their larger caliber deer and when they take their vacations is during the rut. Hmm. Well, I got to where, uh, after, you know, learning from him and several of my other friends, I don't like hunting the rut because I'm hunting a particular buck. I want to get him before he gets to where he gets uh, squirrely and heads out across the country. I want to I want to kill him in his own home range and hunt him down there instead of hunting a ghost that may be two farms over. Okay, exactly. And this kind of leads into oh, uh, the point I wanted to ask you about, like, Clearly, you've, you've grown up here in southern Ohio, starting to hunt other states as well, filming your hunts. But um, what would you say or maybe a few of your big takeaway or aha moments in your bow hunting career where you're like this, whether it be a tactic or, or a thought or something that you do or learned that kind of helped you raise the bar and take it to the next level, become a better hunter? Well, I would say several things. Uh, for one, uh, don't think that you can beat a whitetail's nose. Uh, that's probably one of the main things. And then the second one, which is probably the biggest, is uh, uh, don't have a fear of failure. Uh, go in and, tr and get it done. And if it doesn't work, back up, uh, you know, uh, regroup and hit it again. Okay. What about like, um, obviously you, you mentioned you can't beat a whitetail's nose and you're down there in Southern Ohio. I, I remember when I first started kind of learning about thermals and, and how that would affect and, and monitoring that stuff with milkweed was, was, was kind of a game changer because here I would sit there in the stand and think my scent was going one way. But once I started bringing that milkweed, you know, you could see it drop down, bank, you know, 10 yards after you've dropped it. And, and, and do, you really started, I feel like, understanding what's going on, at least at the given time. Um, it, what else as far as tactics? Were you, were you always a, a mobile guy or, you know, when did that kind of start playing into what you were doing? Yes, I was, I've always been a mobile guy, but basically what I would do is uh, I hunt, uh, farms that other people had access to so basically what I would do is I would go in in the spring and this is back when I was just a rut hunter I would go in in the spring I would pick out my different funnel areas and travel corridors and maybe places that I've seen uh, bucks travel through before I would pick out a tree I would uh, I would trim that tree out and I would uh, put steps in the tree and then what I would do is I would uh, I would have let's say 20 some of these trees picked out on numerous different farms and I would have them set up for different wind directions, and I would write all that stuff down on a, in a notebook. And when I got up, you know, let's say if it was uh, November 1st, I would get up, and it was a northwest wind. Well, I had four different spots where I could go, threw the stand on my back, and took off and dove in there and got up in the tree. Uh, what I found out was some of those areas, uh, because I wouldn't go in there and scout, because I would stay out. I would do all my scouting in the spring and stay out 
when it got hunting season. What I found was is that uh, you know there may be a good buck in there one year, but then the next year there wasn't one in there, and I wouldn't know it until I went in there and hunted, and then I wouldn't know what the sign looked like. I just I was hunting year old sign. So how it cha- how I changed is I started you know scouting and then hunting, scouting and then hunting, and and do it real time instead of uh, relying on last year's sign. Okay, okay, and and was that an easy change? Because because I'm somebody that that I do a decent amount of off season scouting, um, and, and I'm starting to realize that 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 the in season the off season gives me the blueprint. I feel. And the in-season tells me maybe potentially where a good one's at today. Was that an easy switch? Or was that something that maybe took a little bit of time for you to start seeing, oh, you know, my, my winter scouting is good, but this in-season stuff, this is, this is where I need to be spending more of my hours. Well, it, in the beginning, it wasn't an easy transition. But like I said, I rut hunted for 15 to 20 years. And with uh, – success but it was limited limited success i mean i hunted really hard and would kill a good deer and people would be like oh i can't believe you killed another one well you can't imagine the amount of time i put in the woods uh, but it was mainly hunting it wasn't scouting i would do all my scouting you know in january and february when i slowly start transitioning over to scouting in season and hanging on fresh sign and hunting it uh, it did take me a little bit because I, it was the fear of blowing the deer out of the area. Once I learned that uh, just because you walk through the woods, uh, and, and you got to walk through it in certain ways or whatever, just because you walk through the woods and blow deer out doesn't mean they're going to be gone for two or three days. Uh, what I found out is if you tippy-toe around in the woods a little bit, uh, you can slip back right in that evening and they'll uh, come right back through. It doesn't bother them that much. Interesting, interesting. And, and I think we're going to dive into this. So this in season scouting a little more. Um, what, I guess, uh, do you still hang a few tree stands prior to season? Because I know you hunt a, a handful of farms, um, property. Uh, I know you've hunted some public ground as well. Is, is that still a tactic that you do have some presets and then you know, maybe 50-50 mix as far as raw mobile hunts. Um, tell me a little bit about what your oh, stand and, and scouting looks like uh, now, you know, he's sure. 20. Sure. Well, I, yeah, I definitely have stands hung uh, on uh, on two different two different farms that I have. Uh, I definitely have pre-hung stands because they're just proven areas that if there's a good buck on that property, this is where he's going to be. Now, I can get in that stand, and if I notice that he's coming through 50, 60 yards, something has changed, well, then I'll, you know, uh, put on my running gun and jump over there. But uh, it's mainly – I probably uh, – it's probably 80-20 right now. I mean, uh, I'm more mobile than I've ever been, and uh, it, it pays off. Yeah, yeah, no doubt there. Um are you, do you find success when you make these uh, moves and, and is it the first time or, or sometimes do you make this move, wait him out uh, two, three hunts and, and then connect? What, what, what does that look like? Well, mostly my moves are on the, uh, and when I'm successful was usually the first time in. Uh, yeah. the, vir- the virgin set, uh, it's, it's, uh, there's something special about that, taken by surprise, uh, just like my Illinois hunt this year. Uh, I knew where a buck was at, a woodlot he was in. Uh, my buddy Justin Hollinsworth had seen him come out in the field several times. Uh, it was the end of October. I knew that he was going to be off chasing a doe somewhere if I didn't get aggressive. I dove right in that first evening, 
and I uh, waited till I suspected that most of the deer would have been out in the field. I went in about 4.30. I went in there. I knew there was three or four different ridges in there that, uh, that if a mature buck was in there, that's where he was going to be bedding with a north wind. And I found the uh, ridge that had the most sign on it and a couple big tracks. Uh, threw a stand up that evening, and it was right at dark when I was hanging the stand. I uh, jumped back in it the very next morning, and he comes strolling back in there in a snowstorm. And I shot him at 25 yards. So I could have set back hunted the edges of the field and maybe got a crack at him, but I wasn't going to do that. I was out there for four days. Uh, the rut was coming. I had to get in there and try to get it done, and it worked. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned you, you saw some good sign and some tracks. Um, one, where did you kind of locate the tracks? And I guess when you were on the scouting mission, let, let's slow down time here. Let, let's Because I feel like this is an area that, that I feel like our listeners would, would like is what did you see uh, – you know, did you catch a track first? Did it lead you to a rub and then you found a scrape? I mean, talk me through some of that little in-season scouting to, to set up on this buck. Sure. In this, on this particular case, uh, there was three or four ridges in there that if a mature buck's in there with a north wind, that's where he's going to be bedding. I went to each one of those ridges. The first one, I didn't see any sign. Uh, there was a couple beds, but there was no buck sign at all, and I didn't notice any good tracks. The second one had some decent-sized beds, but they looked like they were old. And then the third, one, the third little finger ridge I went on had four or five great big beds. I mean, they were as big as a truck hood where you could tell where they'd been adjusting, moving around. And there was uh, three or four big rubs, and I cut a big track right there. And I thought, well, this is where he's at. So I set up on it for a north wind, uh, guessing, uh, kind of looking at the sign and reading it to see how he would approach his bed. And I set up within uh, 40 yards of his bed because I was trying to catch him kind of on a J hook in and it worked out like a charm. So when you were in like scouting this, this ridge out, you see the rubs, the, the beds, a couple tracks, you, you went ahead and assessed that you would either bump that deer out, that deer wasn't there and you were going to try and check or catch him in the morning, correct? Yes. See, it was supposed to start raining that night and then a big snowstorm was coming in. So I knew uh, the, the way they work up there that, they, they move out of the woods right before dark, m most generally, and then they feed out through these big ag fields all evening. Mm. And I assumed that with that storm and stuff coming, it, and, and you know, it was gonna, he was going to be delayed a little bit getting back in there is what I was hoping. I was hoping to beat him back in there. And uh, he come in probably about 30 minutes after uh, daylight. Okay. So cool. That is, that, that's the kind of stuff I, I like to, to, to look at. And you said a couple big rubs. I, I feel like, do you look for height or are you looking for like big trees or, or just multiple rubs when, when, when you're looking for, for uh, a buck of your caliber, obviously that's a high caliber deer. Sure. Well, every place is different. Uh, the uh, Illinois farm that I shot this buck on, uh, you, you look for, bigger bigger rubs bigger big as your arm or bigger and mm -hmm. uh and a lot of them normally and look for big tracks back home in ohio uh you know kind of some of the farm country i hunt and stuff i mean you look for good size rubs and stuff too when you start getting into the hill country where i hunt it's completely different uh, you may see little dinky rub you may see small rubs and not very many of them but a couple big tracks and that could be where one's at they just don't leave a lot of sign in the bigger woods that yeah, I that was something that, that I really took away after our conversation a few weeks ago on the phone is um, you had said generally, if you, you know, obviously each buck is different, but 
you felt the farm country deer really lay down the buck sign versus hill country, sometimes it, it's not oh as concentrated or as prevalent. Sure, I found both. In hill country before, I found that uh, a certain deer lay down really good sign and uh, and you know just looks like you know bucks and deer tearing up everything. Other places, I mean, uh, like I said, we hunted a big deer several years ago, and the thing did not leave a rub bigger than uh, probably I don't know. Uh, there was not a rub in there as big as a pop can, and this thing was packing around 200 inches on his head. Just every deer is different. Yeah. Uh, some of them are really aggressive, some of them aren't. And this deer here was uh, he was dominant because you could see that when he was around other deer, but he just didn't lay down sign. A sign of meaning uh, scrapes and rubs. Uh, you know, he had a good size track. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so Heath, there, you, you, you know, we've mentioned this in-season scouting. Um, I think I'm going to jump ahead to, to some bullet points I had around kind of what your season is looking like. Um, obviously, here in Ohio, we opened that last weekend in September. What, I guess, paint a picture as far as some of the scouting you're doing on, on, on these farms or whatever – um, that first couple weeks of season, um, are you locating a few shooters uh, trail camera wise in the summer? And then uh, kind of talk to me a little bit about that first three weeks, lay some groundwork, what you've done, and then what your tactic is for, for looking for this sign of, of these bucks you're after. Sure. Well, in Ohio and Illinois, it's two different things. Well, basically what I do in Ohio is I run some mineral licks, uh, you know, and, and I plant several food plots. So I, I run cameras on those. I start those around the 1st of the July and uh, to see what I got. And then, uh, then in the bigger woods areas, we run them around, you know, uh, food sources. And, uh, you know, like I was telling you before, uh, water sources back in the woods and minerals and see if we can locate deer that way. And then come around about the uh, second week of September, everything changes. So uh, those areas that I have cameras in that maybe not have any good bucks on them, a good one could show up, you know, when they transition from uh, shedding their velvet and back to their core areas. So, and then I try to line up and find the biggest buck I can find in Ohio to where I can gain access to and set up a game plan starting, uh, you know, first day of season. And uh, my Illinois plan is we go out there and uh, we hang cameras about in September and uh, it's, it's solar cameras and we've scouted it all in uh, February and March and we kind of know bucks from the year before and hopefully new ones show up and we just kind of run the cameras and then kind of go out. I like going out towards the end of October and then I'll spend a week and a half out there during the hardcore of the rut and mainly focus out there on the rut. Yeah. Now, does that change if you've got a lead here? Like, obviously, you just put a tentative plan out there, but I feel like, oh, if you had the lead on, on, on a buck here, you, you'd probably, would you postpone your Illinois plans, or is that something you just really enjoy doing with the guys and it's, it's a good place to hunt? No, I would definitely postpone it. I did that a couple years ago. I had a, a really big buck. I was out there hunting in Illinois and getting some pictures of on my cell camera. But uh, I had a sure thing here, a 160-inch uh, buck that was in January. And uh, I had him pattern pretty good, and it was either go to Illinois and use my last couple of days of vacation out there or try to kill this buck. So I stayed home and tried to kill him. It just depends. If I don't, like this year, uh, I had some uh, really good class bucks, but it was uh, the one I was wanting, uh, which was, you know, probably 170-inch uh, 10 with a couple forks. 
uh, I just couldn't get on him because he was staying on a neighbor's property. And my only hope was he would come over there during uh, the rut. So uh, knowing that we had some good bucks out in Illinois, so I wanted to go spend a couple of days the end of October out there and try to hunt them before they started going crazy as well. Very cool. So you, you mentioned a lot of trail camera work there, uh, at least here in the Buckeye State, um, on, on, on both, you know, your big woods and your farm mixes is, is, you know, that shift that we talked about there that happens in September and, and leading into the opener, are you then checking your cameras one more frequently and, and two, does glassing play a role in what you've got going on there uh, coming into what I call the opener? Like, I guess when, when the gun goes off in the opener, how are you potentially locating these deer and, and, and honing in? Because you're an individual buck hunter versus myself. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, no, at this point, I would say I'm still more of a rut guy and, and just playing you know, the odds of a better, better buck. Sure. Well, uh, glassing, if I do a much glassing, it's the end of July, beginning of August. Uh, when it gets close to the season opener, I don't do too much glassing because most of the bucks I'm after aren't really in areas to where you can uh, see from a long ways off. Uh, I definitely, when I put out my cameras at the beginning of July, I usually don't check them until almost September uh, because I just let them soak. And, uh, you know, because if a buck shows up, it shows up. I mean, it doesn't, it's, you know, it's not going to, make me make a move because season isn't even in. Uh, but when season gets here, uh, I start running my cameras more frequently. And you know, in Ohio, you're allowed to bait if you're on private property. And it's mainly what I hunt is private property. So trying to locate these bucks, uh, it's, it's a little easier than let's say out in Illinois is trying to run a camera over a scrape or a, the edge of a bean field or the edge of a cornfield. In Ohio, you know, if, if there's a buck in a certain patch of woods or whatever, usually I can th go out and throw up a little bit of bait and throw a camera up on it and uh, probably get that buck within a couple weeks. And my main goal is to locate. And once I locate them, then I start strategizing from there. Okay. So um, you said a couple of things I thought were kind of interesting there. Are you worried about your ground scent at all when you're checking some of these cameras or, or are you just, uh, uh, you've, you, I think you've used the term, I just need a picture of him. Um, and so you're not necessarily so it depends. concerned about getting, you know, too much ground scent in there yet. So, so if, I'm, if I'm running cameras when I go in in July and hang a camera and then I go back and check it in September, mm -hmm. you know, I just, I just, I mean, I'm not worried about ground scent. I'm not worried about wind direction. Uh, you know, a lot of places I'll ride my four-wheeler ride up to the uh, camera location and check them. When I get closer into uh, September and into season, uh, I definitely check the wind direction before I go in and check my cameras to make sure that uh, it's blowing a, in a, an area that I won't be alarming deer. And then I'm very scent cautious when I, I go in. I mean, I'm, I say scent cautious. I wear clean boots that I don't wear to the gas station in the house or all that kind of stuff. I just got a specific pair of boots that I wear into the woods. And then I try to take just a, uh, a shower with regular soap, non-scented soap, and just make sure I'm pretty clean and then going in and, you know, not touching everything, uh, mm -hmm. not uh, rubbing up against everything, just trying to slip in and slip out, make sure the wind direction's uh, blowing decent to where, you know, it's not blowing back to where the deer are coming from. And I try to do it midday when I do do it. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, I'm, I'm glad you kind of uh, elaborated there as far as, um, that September time frame. 
So, so as, as it goes into October, what, um, what moves are you making? Uh, let's say you, you do have some trail cameras showing some good bucks in an area. What a, you know, you, you talked about this in-season scouting and mobile being probably 80% of your game. Are you doing this um, in the mornings, uh, midday? Um, are you doing it a couple days a week and then trying to line up maybe a better weather day for, for, for an actual hunt? Talk to me about this October hunting and scouting, uh, what, what it kind of generally looks like. Sure. Well, I, I work a full-time job, so I do it whenever I can. But I try to do it, you know, around after 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, around about when they're bedded down and stuff. I, I really get aggressive and uh, do searches and stuff either in the rain or right before the rain. I'll uh, poke into areas that I normally don't go into. But uh, basically, food sources change so much. And, you know, during that time of year, Deer are all about food sources, especially big bucks. So if there's a bean field that was planted late that's still got green leaves, or if there's some white oaks or red oaks that are dropping acorns, you know, I need to go in and check that out. Uh, and then there may just be, a, a, you know, just a section of grass or whatever they're wanting to eat or who knows what. You just got to go in there and find the food, see where they're going, what they're doing, and set up accordingly. That's okay. So, so obviously acorns, cause acorn crop, I feel like changes every year and some years are boom. Some years, uh, I know a couple trees that produce almost every year. And then there's trees that, that are like an every two year or three year thing. Um, I assume you're walking and, and looking, oh, at the base of these trees for, for one, uh, popped up a acorns, you know, that you can tell have been browsed on where the caps lay in there and, and deer shit. Um, do you, do you ever catch tracks in that area or is that, is that what that, that process looks like? I guess, can you elaborate on that? A yeah. Little more? Yes, absolutely. So I mainly, uh, if I'm looking at acorn trees, let's say for instance, you can pretty much walk through the woods and uh, you can, you know, check out different, I know where all the white oaks are in the farms and stuff that I hunt and I go hit them first to see if there's any deer coming into them. And then if, if one of them's dropping, all you gotta do is poke around the leaves and see if there's any good tracks. And usually, uh, uh, there's some rubs and stuff associated with that. You know, maybe not some big rubs, but some small rubs. So you can start seeing deer activity, uh, a lot of activity around the, uh, especially the first ones that start dropping. And what's crazy is you may have a, a ridge with several white oaks and certain trees for some reason are sweeter than others and deer prefer certain trees over others. Uh, even of the same species, it's, it's kind of weird, but you, you're, you're not gonna learn that and know that by just setting back and thinking, oh, here's what happened this year. You got to go in there and poke around uh, right before, and you know, there's a small window. You go in there and poke around, you may have two or three days before that buck changes his pattern and heads out somewhere else. Uh, so, so you need to get in there and do your scouting, hang and hunt, and take advantage of it, and uh, not just go in there and do your scouting, think, oh, well, next weekend I'm going to go back in there and set up on that white oak flat. Well, next weekend that buck may be over here hitting something else. Okay. So, um, one, that, that was awesome elaboration on just a little more detail on that, you know, the, the, the acorn scouting. What, I guess, are you doing this? You said midday. What if, what if a guy is working a job, um, in, in nine to five, would you tell him that Saturday, Sunday, midday, he's got to go find himself some acorns or do you think it's kind of maybe worth, uh, some evening hunts in and around? Obviously he's got to know where the oaks are. So, yeah, go ahead. Sure. So, so I work four tens. Okay. Uh, so I'm off Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So basically, what I do is I have a uh, a predetermined stand. Uh, let's say I'm going in blind on a uh, Friday. 
I have a predetermined spot where I'm going to go hunt. <clears throat> so I go in there to that predetermined spot. I hunt. May not be very successful, may not see much. I hunt till around nine or 10. Then I tear down if I don't see much or whatever. Then I'll get out and start poking around and I'll set up for my evening hunt and then my following uh, day's morning hunt. Okay. And I go and hunt that evening <clears throat> and I also hunt the following morning. And then I scout for that, let's say, the next e that evening's hunt, and I hunt then. And, you know, at other times, I may set back as well. You know, if I'm after a particular buck and I kind of know what he's doing, well, then I need to bide my time, uh, wait for uh, the proper conditions, let's say a, a, a small cold front coming through, a weather change, or even moon times, you mm. know. Uh, so there's different things. But if I'm out just looking and trying to uh, pick up on a buck or whatever, then that's, you know – I'll do what I told you before. Yeah. Now you, you said you, you, you hang a stand. Oh, after your first hunt, you go hang for the evening, hang for, for the following morning. Is that sometimes the same stand? Like you're like, okay, let me see if these deer circle through here morning, evening, or is it two separate stands saying I'm going to hunt here in the evening and hunt here in the morning? Obviously this all depends on, on what you see and what your scout sure. is telling you. I don't, out, I don't out of see down, but. Sure. Out of state's a little different. It's usually the same stand that evening and the next morning. In state, uh, a lot of times I'll have one, let's say I'll, I'll have an evening spot that I picked out and I hunt, and then I'll just jump over to another spot the next morning. Or if I feel that spot could be a good morning stand, I'll set it as well. Okay, very cool. So you're, yeah, you, you, you're you still mobile. Uh, do, you, do you catch deer sometimes where you, you set up in the evening and then you're coming back the next morning for, and you hop right in there and for whatever reason that stand may be a better morning stand. I know in the past I've always been afraid to leave that tree stand overnight. Just it's, it's sitting there and I've touched it and I've, I've laid a lot of scent on it and I, I've already sat that tree one time, but Oh, my buddy Dave, for example, he, he's like, well, what if that deer just doesn't loop there in the evening, but he loops there in the morning? And so I think over the last season, yeah, really just the last season, I've started to be okay. If I hung a set, I will give it a morning or I'll give it an evening and then I'll come back the next day and hunt it in the morning and have, still have some confidence. But is that something you're doing or seeing? Yeah, but yeah, most definitely. Uh, you know, it may be a good uh, evening stand. It may be a good morning stand. You won't know till you try. Mm -hmm. So if you if you think you're screwing it up while by leaving scent and uh, and not wanting to go back the next morning, well then uh, you you may want to rethink that a little bit. You'll never know until you try. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I've had a lot of luck by hunting in the evening and then jumping right back in the next morning. But if you try to do it a couple days in a row or two or three times, then you're just, you know, it's a, it's a virgin set in the evening. It's also a virgin set in the morning. Yeah. It's two, and that's it's two different virgin sets. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but if you hunt it two mornings in a row, well then that's a big, there's a big difference. Yeah. But, and but that, let me uh, elaborate a little bit. My, my Ohio hunts uh, uh, throughout the season, I have a lot more time uh, to, and I, I bide my time. I don't hunt like crazy every weekend. Uh, I'll scout a lot of times and sometimes I won't even hunt, but when I do go in there and hunt, uh, it, it's the right conditions and everything's right when I go. Okay. That, yeah, you know, Heath, I'm really glad you, you kind of, oh, elaborated, especially on that, that morning repeat sit. That's, that's something I know I'm guilty of sitting here on the other end of the microphone. I, uh, I, I need to look at, oh, that, that next morning is a virgin sit. It's a virgin morning sit. Um, so, so I'm really glad you touched on that. Absolutely. 
Um, what would you say now you've talked about, um, you really dialed into hunting one buck. Oh, is there, is there anything that you might do a little different for a guy like myself who's, who's more looking for, say, a, a good buck? And, and we can keep it, let's keep it in this October time frame. We don't have to jump to November now. But, you know, somebody like myself, I'm, I'm looking for, for, let's call it a 130-ish on, on public because that's mostly what I hunt. I do have a little bit of private. But, you know, what about a guy like myself that I'm not necessarily hunting one specific deer most of the time? Well, the main thing is uh, the quality of deer that you're wanting to hunt, is there one in the area? Because uh, you can't, I've, I've struggled for years, couldn't get through my head that every farm had uh, a caliber of bucket I wanted to kill. And that's not the case. Uh, there may be, you may be in a hunting area, especially hunting a lot of private, that uh, the caliber of buck that you're wanting to kill isn't where you're at. So you got to hunt and bounce around and uh, scout and find one especially in October. In November, it's a little bit different. Uh, hunting big woods public, uh, you know, those deer are going to travel a lot more because the deer numbers are probably a lot less than regular farm country, and they have to cover more ground to find does. So, uh, but, you know, you just got to scout and find the sign, if there is sign, uh, and, and the food, and uh, try to get on the caliber of bucks you want. Okay. Okay. Now, um, he, something that I feel like I've been guilty of in the past is spreading myself too thin, uh, uh trying to hunt too many properties. You as an individual buck killer and a, and a high caliber buck killer, do you, do you think there is a mix or is, is there no, no such thing as too much, uh, property to be, to, to have access to? Uh, you can definitely spread yourself too thin. I've done that in years past. Uh, that's why I like, you know, focusing on one certain area. Once I find a buck, I'm focusing on one certain area. But, you know, uh, me being a single buck hunter, uh, I've hunted a ghost before too. I've, I've got pictures of a buck on a certain farm, and they move and uh, not come back uh, on that farm. Maybe, uh, you know, a couple days, a month, for some unknown reason. It's just what happens. They just move, whether it's pressure for me or whatnot. But uh, for you in public, it's just you got to get in the right locations and there's got to be a buck of your caliber in there yeah and a lot of a lot of times they won't be there and uh, that's why the rut's so great and so many people like hunting the rut because you're hunting the neighbor's deer you're hunting the farm the, you know the next door neighbor's deer and uh, uh they move around a lot more and they're a lot more visible but yeah. uh, you can set back in october and try to hunt like you do in the rut and you'll just be wasting your time. You got to get in there. You got to get on their travel corridors, find out where they're feeding and hunt those spots, get in there tight on them. You can't just sit back and be loose in travel corridors like you do during the rut and have success. Yeah. So I feel like we broke down your Illinois deer a little bit. I know you killed a buck late here in Ohio. And, and I had a note here is what do you think oh, with some keys uh, as far as that successful encounter and obviously sealing the deal like did you have any takeaways where you're like you know i applied x y and z and it worked or this this tipped me off and got me that encounter do you can can you speak to that so so the one the one in ohio uh, basically i killed in uh, you know mid january and basically what it was it was i knew this buck was on the farm uh, I, i've had a bunch of food on that farm because i i plan about six acres over there of uh, winter wheat, rye, and turnips. So uh, I knew he was frequent in the farm. He'd showed up about three weeks, four weeks before on a camera, 
and it was just waiting on the being it's you know mid January. It was waiting on the proper weather conditions and uh, and if the weather conditions and the moon phases uh, you know converge at the same time, it's going to be a dynamite hunt. And uh, this one, you know, it was it'd been in the fifties uh, throughout the last uh, week and a half before I killed this deer. And um, he was on the farm, but just late at night. I was getting pictures of him at night. And I knew that uh, the high that day was going to be in the 20s with that cold front coming through. And I just knew they'd be on their feet. And I jumped in there. And uh, they was actually out a lot earlier. And he caught me off guard uh, than what I was expecting. So were you, were you on the ground or just in the stand and looked over and here come? <laughs> no, I was, on, I was in the stand on the edge of my food plot and just uh, looked over and here he, he was coming down the edge of it. Oh, wow. Now, was that the first day of the cold front or the second? I, I've, I've kind of bounced back and forth what I think is, is the best. Sure. Well, uh, the high that day was around 20 degrees, and it was spitting snow that evening. So it was basically uh, the cold front came in the night before, the late the night before, and through that day. So the, basically the front had kind of passed, but mm -hmm. it was just cold weather, and it was going to stay cold for like a day or so. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. You know, what's funny is you killed your Illinois buck in these kind of what I call like harsher conditions, like about to start calling you the Iron Man. <laughs> well, I love hunting in the snow and I love hunting in uh, frigid weather and it just worked out that way. But speaking of cold fronts, what do I like hunting the, uh, the before a front or yeah. after a front? Uh, I like hunting both, but before a front, it's so hard to catch the right timing. Uh, mm -hmm. because uh, you just don't know when they're going to be moving. So basically, after the front comes through, and I've had more success at doing that right after the front has passed. Okay. So one final wrap-up here. We're kind of we're kind of approaching uh, the 40-minute mark. <clears throat> 2020, do you have any goals, anything you're kind of changing up or going to focus on a little more? I, I know you've been doing this a long time, but guys like yourself, you're always looking for that next edge or, or something that you think you want to improve on. Well, uh, like I said, my, my hunting has changed a little bit in the last year uh, due to uh, my mobile has got more uh, – I'm being more mobile than I have been in the past, let's say. Uh, well, we lost 10 so pounds off our back with the new standard yeah, sticks. Exactly, because it's so much easier, so much uh, – see to those uh, pre-hung sets. And now with up the DeQuisto series uh, 1.0, and I can't wait till the uh, what is it the .5 or whatever comes out. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's even going to be lighter. Uh, so, uh, but I'm still going to I'm going to continue to hunt, do what I do, uh, just keep trying to step up my game. I mean, I my target is 170 inch uh, class buck every year in Ohio. Uh, it doesn't happen very often, uh, but that's what I try. I try to find the biggest buck I can find and go after it. In the same way in Illinois, uh, you know, we got several good deer that made it through the season. Uh, I hunt that, those two farms with uh, several other uh, good friends. So uh, I've just I've got some, uh, you know, some uh, spots that I like hunting, and I'll go in there and scout it out and see what I can do. Awesome, Heath. Uh, hope to kind of have you on as a regular here on the podcast just because You've been doing it at a high level. I'm a guy that wants to do it at a high level. You're in a, an area, uh, you know, an hour and a half drive from, from my house, maybe less. And um, I just think that, that guys like myself who are wanting to take their game to that next level, whatever caliber that may be, um, 
I learn a lot from just listening to guys like you, Justin, Andre, and Cody talk. So, so I really appreciate you jumping on with me. And, and uh, let's tell them a little bit, too. You're going to have that addictions hunt coming out this, this uh, summer. Hopefully, uh, we'll have them all edited up and, and out there on the Lone Wolf Custom Gear channel so we can, we can you know, people can tune in and see these bucks uh, that, that he took in, in 2019. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to sharing them. And uh, like I said, uh, if, if someone out there is not happy with how their success is going with hunting, you better change things up because I let it drag on for too many years before I got aggressive and started jumping around. Yeah, maybe that's the next podcast. We, we, we slow down time and we talk about that, that going through the evolution. I think that would be ideal for, for a kind of the whitetail experience. So followers and, and guys that, that kind of look at look at this brand so i think that might be a our next podcast focus so, sounds good yeah all right Heath. well well i'm gonna i'm gonna push a stop here i appreciate you, you coming on and, and and spending some time with me uh team harder okay. Bucks, we are out all right thanks brian appreciate it